Kia ora and welcome to episode 65 of the Get Confident podcast. Today we are continuing on our epic theme of helping you to get super confident in your career as we speak with Mia Smithson from over in the US who is seriously a negotiation queen. She helps her clients to increase their wages by a minimum of $30,000. And don't forget, because she's based overseas, that's 30,000 USD. That's like 60,000 New Zealand dollars, right? Insane. This episode also is insane. There is so much value inside it. I literally wrote note upon note upon note just from one, being live in the recording with her, and then two, playing it back to get it ready for you to listen to it right now. So make sure that you check out the description below for some extra links of things that were talked about inside the episode and go check out Mia's 30k program as well. Uh, Super helpful if you are wanting to do some international work. But as you will hear, I asked her right at the end about working with people outside of New Zealand, sorry, outside of the US, and she is so down to uh, bring that challenge upon herself as well. So make sure that you take notes in this episode. There's one part in particular where I tell you to go back and re-listen, and I honestly encourage you to do so. It is so good, especially if you are in a position right now where you are wanting to reinvigorate your career and you're wanting to be compensated more than fairly for it, right? You are wanting to get paid well for the thing that you do, the thing that you excel at, and hopefully the thing that you love as well. So let's get into it. I'm Janelle Hosking and you beautiful are here to get confident. No more self-doubt, no more overthinking, no more what ifs. I'm helping you grow your confidence so you can live a fulfilled life. Welcome to the show. Mia, I am very, very happy to have you on the Get Confident podcast today. Why don't you tell us, first of all, whereabouts you are right now in the world, what time of day it is there for you, and what kind of day you've been having? Yeah, definitely. So I'm calling in from downtown San Francisco. It's seven o'clock at night, and I'm very excited to be here. You know, the Dinner Hour podcast, we are going to rock and roll. Absolutely. I love that. And just for a reference, it is 3 p.m. in New Zealand. So I think we might be a day difference on each other and then a few hours. So very grateful to have you. And I love the vibe of that, like dinner podcast kind of thing. It's very cool. Um, When we had guests on, just as a fun way to kind of, you know, get to know a little bit about you, I start with a this or that. So I just give you two options and then all you need to do is choose the one that is, uh, I guess, most aligned with you or the option that suits you better. So we'll get right into it. What do you prefer, calling or texting? Calling, because it's more heartfelt, right? Mm. But that said... I'm extremely selective with the type of person that I would get on a call with. Like if it can be done via email or via text, that's what we're going to do. But calling is just more intimate. Like that's what I enjoy the most, right? Um, Yeah, no, I absolutely hear you on that. So imagine you're walking. I know um, when you and I first caught up prior to, you know, this recording, you told me that you... I'm not sure if it was walk or run, but I know you distance wise seven miles per day in terms of exercise. While you're doing that, do you prefer listening to music or podcasts? Podcasts. I am obsessed. Um, So it's either 
listening to a podcast, primarily like entrepreneurship or mindset, Mm. or just having silence. I think of some of my best ideas when I'm walking and I really Mm. like having that space where I'm not necessarily focused on like one thing in particular. And it allows me to kind of be creative and like I solve like the most challenging problems when I'm walking. Um, so yeah, that's cool. I love that. You've just inspired me. Like the next time I go for a walk to just have some silence because I'm definitely an avid, like headphones in either music or podcast it's really a day by day and sometimes half and half type thing um but I like that the idea of just walking in silence and allowing ideas to flow to you that is beautiful now imagine you're at the beach are you swimming or sunbathing swimming for sure yeah, in it for the workout. Let's do it. <laughs> well, I'm like that's when you have like the most fun. Oh, I hear you. Yeah, for sure. So, would you prefer a day with your best friend or a party with everyone you know? Well, if it's a party with everyone I know, then it'll be an opportunity to meet with like a lot of people that I'm guessing I'm pretty close with so that to Mm. me would be really enjoyable and I kind Mm. of combine them right if it's everyone I know then I'm including my best friend so we're gonna rock and roll with all of it (laughs) I see what you did there (laughs) (laughs) that is so good like I said in the beginning very happy to have you on the show today and I always feel like when it comes to introductions they come best from the person themselves so Before we get into it, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what it is that really, um, I guess, inspires and lights you up as to why you're coming on the show today? Definitely. So I am the CEO of the 30K program, and it all started when I found out that I was underpaid by $30,000, which is um, not something that is fun to hear. I guess a little bit of the backstory. So I have seven years of talent acquisition and management experience. I've scaled my career from a junior recruiter to the global director of talent management, overseeing leadership development and hiring for 800 employees in seven countries. Wow. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, at this point in my career, I've done over 5,000 interviews, um, roughly half have been with women. And if I had to estimate, I'd say at least thousands of of those women have um, undersold their experience and also asked for um, less than even what the job paid for. Like they literally asked for such a low um, amount that I was like, hold up, like, <laughs> do you even do any salary research beforehand? And so, yeah. Um, yeah, I would say I have seen the gender pay gap up close just throughout my experience within talent management. Um, mm-hmm. And then I've also been affected personally. And so helping women to negotiate effectively for the compensation that they deserve is yeah, that is one of the things I'm most passionate about in this world. That is incredible. And so what's your proudest accomplishment that you have been able to support somebody through in terms of negotiating the point where they're like, I am not being paid enough for this and getting them to that point where they're like, holy wow, I finally am being compensated the value of the job that I've been doing. 
Yeah. So I helped someone go from $80,000 a year as a recruiter to, um, it was like 143. Okay. Yeah. And what's fascinating is that the person was a senior recruiter before and their new job title was also a senior recruiter. So the person was working in staffing. I helped them transition to corporate. So that's part of it. And then the other part of it is they hadn't negotiated effectively when they started that role, mm. right? And so they were underpaid in that in that current role. And then I helped them to get a job at a company that paid in like the 50th percentile of salaries. And I know what you're thinking, like 143, how is that in the 50th percentile? Recruiters can mm. earn a lot. <laughs> like, let me yeah. just say. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you help someone, cause companies develop compensation philosophies and typically it's, you know, we pay in the 25th percentile or in the 50th or the 75th, right. Or the hundredth. And from there, um, they ensure that, you know, all their employees fall within a certain range in order to mitigate wage compression and equity issues. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's really like once you figure out like, okay, these are the companies where you have a little bit more bandwidth and you can negotiate more effectively. That's when the the doors begin to open. So yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> she is set up for a, like a, a lifetime, honestly, of increased earning. That is incredible. Now, this may sound very beginner, but over here in New Zealand, that is not a concept that I have actually heard before in terms of the different percentiles that you were explaining there. So can you, in super basic terms, just go into that for a second, because I'm sure that I'm not the only one being like, what is that? That sounds like that's something I really need to know. Yeah. So first, it is not common knowledge like you definitely have to do some digging to find out this and the only reason why I know is because part of a people team I I have been part of the compensation philosophy discussions but um yeah so companies utilize uh external data so Radford is a really common source and that way they're able to pull in Um, and aggregate data from other companies that are roughly the same size Mm -hmm. um, uh, as far as number of employees um, or as far as revenue, right? There's a number of kind of different ways that you can you can slice the data. Um, And then typically it is uh, industry specific. So like comp philosophies are typically like if you work at a SaaS company, they base it off of, you know, the 25th percentile of all businesses that bring in, you know, $100 million in your revenue with roughly 800 employees. Like you can literally segment the data accordingly, um, which mm-hmm. is really, really cool. And that way you alleviate a lot of the issues with, um, you know, someone who's been there for 20 years and is making 100k as a software developer and then someone who just started and is making 225k with the same title like you basically mitigate those issues because you have very clear like pay bands of which everyone falls into and then you can get even more granular and you can do like compensation studies where you you do like um gender research and you you see you know are are women making more than our men are Mm -hmm. the older people at our company making more than the younger people um do we have race um issues like there's you can i mean it's a whole it's a whole study so it's it's really fascinating 
That does sound fascinating. What it's making me think of is we have this website in New Zealand and you can search different uh, roles within organizations. So um, say like accountant, New Zealand, you can search that into this website and it will come up um, telling you the averages, the average pays across different people who have same deal, put this data into this website in New Zealand. But then you can get again, really granular with it and put in your specific skills within being an accountant, which then tells you, I guess, what your skill set is, is worth within that. And I actually use that to help me go from kind of like, a marketing role and transition into sales because I realized, well, hold on, there's a ceiling here on marketing and the space that I was in, whereas staying in the same space because I loved the space, but moving to a sales role, I could earn way more. And it was literally just from myself, like tutoring away and in my my own time outside of work, being like, I wonder what I could get paid. For, For me, it wasn't at the time uh I'm not being paid enough here probably could have been didn't do that research but anyway it was more of like a where do I want to go and what's going to help me to progress in the future being paid really well so that is incredible um by the way I will link that New Zealand website down in the description so you can go and check that out for yourself listening at home if that piques your interest um I love that that is something that you do and that that was inspired by your own experience of realizing that you know you were being underpaid by $30,000. I feel like there's a real stigma. Maybe it's different where you are, but say for in New Zealand here, there's a real stigma around talking about money and how much you earn. And I remember once I spoke to, um, she was actually a friend of mine and we were literally overseas traveling together doing a mini OE. And I love talking about money. I love talking about just work, you know, and, and excelling, I guess. And I asked her, you know, oh, what are you paid? Trying to get an understanding of that industry, that role, and I guess the value. And she said to me, I never talk about that. And nobody apart from my dad knows how much I get paid, which I find really fascinating because my view is, well, if you don't know how much other people are getting paid or, you know, if you don't have those conversations, you don't really know if you're being paid fairly or not. Is that something that you deal a lot with in work of people being awkward around talking about money? Yeah, it's, I think it's fascinating. Like as I progressed in age, I've become increasingly more comfortable about talking about money because I think it's important for people to know. And Mm -hmm. at the same time, I do recognize that like there is a time and a place to discuss it and there is a time Mm -hmm. and a place not to. Like if you Mm -hmm. are super public about how much you're earning and then you interview for a job and let's just say that that employer were to find out how much you're earning – they could utilize that as leverage to not pay you, you know, a certain amount of money. Right. And so you do want to be very careful about how you do discuss that information. But I would say with like, you know, friends of yours and like loved ones, definitely um, Mm. just be careful how, how like public it is if you are going to be interviewing. Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. You mentioned before about, um, a client being in a role and massively underpaid, even though it was something that she had, you know, had the same title before in a different organization. And I'm assuming 
at that place had higher higher pay. Do you think that there's a perception of take the job, take the offer, take the package because it's a way in. And then once you're in, then you can negotiate and really grow within the organization to a point where you know you're getting more money. Yeah, I see this all the time. It's it's almost like a scarcity mentality around like there's not going to be another job out there that would still allow me to learn what I'm looking to learn and would pay me what I'm targeting. Right. And like, I hear that, like I've heard this a lot on interviews and it's kind of this like graspy energy. It's like, Oh, I can learn a lot here. And I know that I'm underpaid for my role, but that's okay. Cause I'll learn a lot. And I think that there's like a time and a place. Like if it's an opportunity that like, you are going to work with the best and the best of the industry. And let's just say that maybe you're at the lower end of comp, but like what you're going to be learning will be so immense. Like Mm -hmm. then, okay, that could make sense. But I would say at the same time, I just believe you can have it all, you know, like it's like going to a buffet and like, thinking that there's just like salad available when like there's also like there's the salad and then there's also the mashed potatoes and then there's also the dessert. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, do you know how many thousands of companies there are? Like, or like hundreds of that, like it's, it's crazy how many companies exist out there. And so as long as you're dialed in and what you're looking for, like the learning experience that you're looking for, and then also the comp, like you can find it. You're just are going to have to get comfortable with rejections, but you can get that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. And I love the idea that you clearly see employment from a lens of a person coming to this place within this time and space in their career to learn, to help them progress. Whereas I feel like lots of people, the first thought is just like putting food on the table kind of thing and not even having that that focus or that um, intention around what am I going to get out of this other than the obvious of some money, but like how am I going to learn? How am I going to grow and evolve within yourself and your career? And then there's also the whole team culture conversation as well when it comes to going to an organization. Like that literally does make me think of a buffet. There's so much that does go into it. So when do you think is the best time to negotiate? Yeah, so I would say it de- it depends, right? If you're negotiating for a promotion a year in advance and like planning out what key metrics that you'll be delivering upon in order mm-hmm. to, you know, get whatever promotion it is that you are targeting, right? Um, if yeah. it's a new job, at the very beginning of your job search, outlining the criteria, your yes criteria, right? Maybe it is, you know, you, you need to be able to pick up your kids in the afternoon from these specific times. Uh, It could be, I don't know, a certain amount of vacation, a certain like growth opportunity. Maybe it's really important to you that you gain, you know, experience in demand gen from the industry expert of demand gen, right? And then whatever comp it is, like what is your yes comp number? And then Mm -hmm. being really adamant about it, like this is your, this is your non-negotiable. And then from there developing um, what's called a BATNA Um, or best alternative to a negotiated agreement. And this is where you're not just like, oh, you know, I'll apply to like just one or two places. You have a very cohesive strategy where you're applying to at least three or more jobs per day, right? And that way you have 
multiple offers that you're getting right around the same time. And now mm. you're able to go in there with an abundance mentality as opposed to scarcity. And you're able to negotiate confidently and effectively and also utilize offers as leverage. Right? Leverage for sure. <laughs> oh my gosh. Honestly, Mia, that is so good. I have a client right now who's looking for employment. And in our most recent session together, I said to her, um, you need a, a set time every day. Like she's actually in between employment completely. So her only focus or time priority right now is to find employment. So you can imagine there's a whole day worth of time there every single day. And so I was, I was sharing with her as part of homework, like every single day you should be applying for jobs. And my, my advice was also around that three to five as well, because it's, it's enough and it's giving you practice and it's, you know, experience of the the applying where you're seeing you know doing the cv and then creating the custom cover letter or however you need to do it whatever the organization's requiring but then also it's giving you that experience of rejection and that it's okay there's something else you know it's 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 all leading you towards that thing so i just feel like that's a little win there knowing that coming from you you know a negotiation expert all around employment i'm like yes my confidence coaching little tip there to her was was a tick. <laughs> okay, so first you are spot on, like a hundred percent with like the number of applications per day and having a concrete strategy. So we teach what's called the cake method, yes. which is where you have the cake pan, which is where you set up three or more job alerts on your favorite job board. Mm -hmm. Then you have the cake, which is applying to three or more jobs a day. Mm -hmm. And then you have the icing, which is where you contact three or more people per week who are decision makers for the job you just applied. Wow. And this takes, on average, right, so the cake pan is a one and done, 30 minutes, one time. The cake is 30 minutes to find and apply to each job. So that's mm -hmm. approximately 10.5 hours per week. And then we have the mm -hmm. icing, right, which is 30 minutes per decision maker that you reach out to. That's 1.5 hours per week. Altogether, mm -hmm. we're looking at 12 hours per week. Like mm -hmm. that is doable. Like mm -hmm. even mm -hmm. if you're just doing it part time, that is doable. And that is like, that to me is like the bare bones. Like we do yeah. also have the sprinkles developed as well, which we are like the nice to have, but like the cake, like that's what you got to have. Right. Absolutely. And I think the, the idea of having your minimums, you know, like you say, with having the cake and this is what you should do uh, or what's advised to do every single day. But what I shared with my client was like, give yourself X amount of time per day where you're going through, you're searching, you're then starring, and then you're applying for the best three to five out of those ones. The one that, like you said, suits your yes, but then stop. You know, and, and that's from the perception of like, don't get obsessive, don't, you know, drain yourself, don't get burnout from doing that. And also don't get in that negative mindset of like, I've been spending all day, every single day trying to find jobs and it's just not happening. It's like, go live a life too, you know, like go interact with some humans and you never know something else good might come from that too. Yeah, you're spot on. I mean, it's all about like, your mindset at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Like if mm -hmm. you are overworking, 
because of scarcity because you're like, I don't know how long it's going to take for me to find a job and blah, 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 blah. Like you got to be on to yourself, you know, mm-hmm. with like your reason for the action that you're taking. And so I think it's really important actually before you do any task is like really centering yourself and maybe even like giving yourself a hug. Like if you're having a rough day, give yourself a quick hug and be yeah. like, Hey, we're going to make it through this. We got this. Right. And then you enter into it with like a calm state and then you're able to take action from a place in a, of abundance as opposed to this kind of rushed energy. Because when you have that rushed energy, you start to like take graspy action. And what I mean by that is you start applying to jobs that are your maybe jobs. Right. Mm. It's like the job that you're like, you know that you wouldn't really be happy if they hired you, but because Mm -hmm. you are so scared Mm. that you won't have a job or that you won't have a job soon, you just apply to it. Right. Like it's, it's about, I think, honestly, centering your mind before you take action is really, really key. Definitely. I love that. So like this client in particular that I have been talking about, she wakes up in the morning, does her morning routine, exercises, meditates, journals, and then applies to jobs. So it's like you're totally priming and getting yourself ready for that positive mindset. And then you've just got this great energy going into it. That is awesome. Do you think, or what do you find in your experience around people uh, applying for new jobs while they already have a job or applying for jobs from a position of having no job? Like, is there a preference? Is there one that's easier than the other, even if that's just from a mindset or an energy perspective? Like, what would you say about that? That's a great question. And this is going to be controversial uh, or controversial statement, I would say your circumstance you may not have control over right if you're Mm -hmm. recently laid off or if you have a job and maybe you don't love it i think the most important thing is to focus less on the specific circumstance and more Mm -hmm. about what you're doing about the circumstance Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying like if you think that it is a con that you were laid off and that means that you're less desirable to an employer, then you're going to go in there less confident. And if you think that you're super depressed because you hate your job and you're applying to new jobs and you have kind of this like ho-hum attitude about it and you're like, my life sucks. I hate my job. I'm trying to find a new one. Then it's probably going to be really hard. Right? So like, who really cares what the circumstance is? Like if you have a job, if you don't have a job, like, regardless it's about what you can do in the present and how you can get your mind right to Mm -hmm. go in there confidently because at the end of the day like if you think it's a big deal yeah if you think it's a big deal that like xyz happened and you kind of show that to a recruiter they will notice that right off the bat because they'll notice that your confidence isn't quite there Mm. what are some ways that you can like you say in either situation no matter what it is you just want a new job, what are some ways you can get your mind right and prime yourself for, let's say, energetically receiving and bringing that job to you? I think it's shifting from a energy of getting to an energy of giving, Mm. right? So when you're applying to a job, you're applying to provide value, to make the world a better place. And that's pretty inspirational. That's pretty exciting. And so when you wake up, like imagine, imagine the change of which you'll bring within that new job, 
right? Let's just say that you work in marketing and like you with a demand gen, right? And you, mm-hmm. um, you know, you have a background of, of helping a company earn, you know, $3 million extra a year. And because mm-hmm. of that, they're able to serve even more clients and it's made just a massive impact. And when you mm-hmm. think through like the people of what you're going to be able to help, like, I think that that is how you can kind of get outside of yourself and mm-hmm. like your own needs. And that's when you'll really be able to have a really confident, clear conversation because it's not about like this raspy I need. It's more about like, how can I give? How can I serve? Mm-hmm. And like, that's attractive. Like everyone wants to hire the person who's the giver, right? Like that's that's pretty sexy. Yeah, you are so right. And that absolutely, uh, that perspective is exactly what... I used and switched myself into along this self-employment journey of, of, you know, uh, transitioning from being an employee into wanting to be fully self-sufficient in uh, creating my own income. And there was a little bit of a phase there where, um, I was living off savings and every single dollar being earned was going back in and the savings were just like dwindling down. And so there was this really short time where I had this mindset of like, crap, I need, I need to get more clients. I need to, you know, this is this. And it was that like, what can I get? And then I literally caught myself and I was like, Janelle, like, that's not why you're doing this. You're doing this to serve. So, you know, like catching yourself in any instance, whether that is, you know, you're wanting to uh, get a new job or you're wanting to start a new something it's just catching and that whole being of service and that also like total side tangent but that is something that I use all the time anytime I'm feeling nervous if I'm going into an event if I'm guest speaking somewhere or running a workshop and I'm feeling nervous I'm like stop making it about yourself Janelle and make it about the service and as soon as I switch that focus from my nerves and me 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 to the other people and how I can help and serve the fear instantly goes away that's just that's so profound honestly (laughs) yeah and actually it does clear away your brain space because when you're thinking about like oh this could go wrong and like what if this doesn't happen and what if this does blah 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 blah. Mm -hmm. like that's a Mm -hmm. lot of like mental energy and when you're focused on serving you know you're able to be so much more effective like that's that's crazy. And also at the end of it, right? If you walk away thinking the the audio for that sucked or oh the PowerPoint didn't work out properly or um someone asked me a question and I definitely was put on the spot and didn't answer the best way or whatever. It's like, well, at the end of the day, did you serve the mission of serving? Yeah, I I gave it my best and I'm a human, you know, like nothing's ever going to be perfect. And that then allows you to take that extra pressure off yourself. So um, that was, I'm so glad you brought that up and that we were able to carry that through because that is so right. This intention, right? Taking the intention off, I need to put food on my table or I need, I need, I need to, what can I give? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Make sure you replay that past like five minute conversation because it was so, so good. So when it comes to being in careers, what do you think uh, the concept of imposter syndrome has to play in keeping people small and not going after the compensation that the role is valued at? I see this all the time. And actually, I personally have dealt with imposter syndrome. Um, mm-hmm. I got three promotions within a year, which Damn. is insane. <laughs> so and good. 
not kidding you. It was like every like three to four months, I was like, okay, I have no idea what I'm doing in this new role. I am so scared and we're going to do this anyway. So I will say firsthand, if you are experiencing imposter syndrome, yeah, I relate to you 100%. Uh, I think it keeps you playing small because once again, it's actually, it's a focus on you and not being good enough. And when you have that mentality of like, I am not enough, you are not going to negotiate, right? And you will probably not get a, you know, aim to get a higher paid job, work to get that promotion um, if you don't believe you're enough. Mm, absolutely. So that's that's equating imposter syndrome and your own personal self-esteem, self-confidence, self-belief together. It's like if you have that dialed in, your own self-confidence, self-belief, self-esteem, then you're less likely to have imposter syndrome. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's exactly it. So one of the big themes that I notice is that um, especially women tie their personal worth to their uh, yes. business worth, right? Mm-hmm. So if mm-hmm. they like they're an amazing person and they're doing great, if they get that raise, if they get that new job, if they get whatever it is professionally that they're targeting, um, and then their worth diminishes if they don't. Mm-hmm. And when you actually can like separate them and say like, look, I'm a hundred percent worthy as a person. Like I'm worthy of love. I'm worthy of everything. Yeah. Um, and that's different than like my worth in the business world. Like I think that's truly where power lies. Mm-hmm. That is exactly why I'm very intentional and very careful about my wording. And throughout this whole episode, anytime we're talking about money and compensation, I am trying really intentionally to not tie it to your own value because your own value is infinite. Like you are incredible. That doesn't mean you're going to get paid squillions at your job just because, you know, like you're getting, you should be getting paid for what the role is worth. And so I love that you touched on that because that is a, is such an important thing. I hear people all the time, whether that's friends or clients saying, I'm not being paid what I'm worth. And I have to do what you just did and say, it's not about you. It's not about your worth. And you, you're doing yourself a disservice by attaching those two together. But I feel like over the past few years, it's kind of become I want to say a buzz, a buzzword type thing where, you know, people have somehow just naturally started tying those two things together. And so obviously you and I are now out there like re-separating them being like, no, they're two different things. Yeah. And I think, so I, Glassdoor recently had a campaign and it was negotiate for your worth. Mm. And it was interesting because I saw it and I was like, negotiate for your worth. Like, well, that's not like your worth, right? Yeah. Like you can't, you can't negotiate for your worth. You can negotiate for, you know, whatever salary that is um, or whatever you're targeting, but it's not your worth as a human. And so I think no. that like, that's part of the issue is like the advertisements that we're seeing are all mm. around this whole concept of negotiating for quote unquote, your worth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and what are some ways you think that, that, I guess are practical ways that we can try and separate out those two things, like your worth from the the worth of the the role that it, that you're going for. One for me, straight off the bat, is doing what you and I spoke about earlier and actually going and researching, like researching your uh, credentials or your skill set, your job title online, and finding out one some data points on what 
the actual roles could be worth to give some context. Is there anything else that comes to mind? Okay. So therapy for me has been hugely helpful in like Wicked. separating the two. Yeah, yeah. Cause then you can like, oftentimes there is like deeper beliefs and like things mm. that happen in your childhood that are looped into it. So that, and then yeah, salary research can be very valuable to do. Um, mm -hmm. one thing I found fascinating, there's a job board named Ada, um, OTTA, there's roughly okay. 500,000 us based job users mm -hmm. and over 50% are female. Mm -hmm. And in order to enter into the job board, you have to put the salary that you're targeting mm -hmm. and across every role and across every industry women put roughly 17% less as their target salary than men. So that is um, really, really fascinating because it shows that it's not the employers who are like, look, let's just pay all the women less than the men. It's yeah. actually the women who are like, look, I need to be making seven, I'm targeting 17% less. And so look, if you are a woman, like think about that number and then <laughs> increase that by 17%. At least that's yeah. what the study show. <laughs> Far out. Because what's the worst that can happen, right? The worst that can happen is somebody asks you, what do you expect to be compensated? And you say a number that's insanely high, 20, 30% more than what you're currently being paid, for example. And, and they say, hey, sorry, that's actually not in our budget. You then have the choice to either negotiate with them a little bit or to say, hey, cool, this role's not for me. My mother is literally applying for new jobs at the moment and I am just so in awe of her. She's having interviews left, right and center. Like she's in a very, um, she's in healthcare, which is really prominent, right? We need healthcare workers right now. And she's having so many interviews and she was having an interview which I knew she was in and she literally, so let's say her interview was 10 a.m. My mom called me at 13 minutes past 10. So it was like this really, really short time after she was supposed to be in this interview. And in my mind, I was instantly thinking, oh my God, what happened? Like, could she not find a car park? Did she miss the interview? Did she get the wrong day? Like what's going on here? And she said, yeah, I walked out of the interview. And I said, why? And she's like, they were paying so low. I just said, let's stop this here. And, and she walked out, you know, and it, <laughs> it was just so good. And like, I was so proud of her, you know, for, for knowing um, what she is willing or, you know, what she knows the roles are worth and also what she's willing to, to work for and to do that type of work for. So um, yeah, it is pretty cool that, that the, the worst that can happen is they say no, or it's not going to work. And then you decide what you do with that, whether you think actually, I, I, I like this company. I like the values. I like the culture. I, I feel like I can fit in well here and I can serve this organization or actually I'm just going to keep, keep looking. And the thing that's going to pay me what I'm asking for is going to come around. Yeah. And I would actually say that the worst thing is you not asking and having the regret. I believe mm. that rejection is way better than regret. You know, like mm. I would way rather have a stack full of rejections and have a stack full of regret. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, most definitely. I remember experiences back when I used to work in radio and um, you know that in radio you work your ass off and you get paid like crap, right? And I uh, went and had an interview 
and they asked me what I expect pay-wise and all I responded was what I was currently at that time being paid. So what I what I articulated to them is that I will come here if you pay me the exact same that I'm getting. But my role was was completely different to the role I was interviewing for. And the role I was interviewing for absolutely should have been, let's say, 15 plus thousand dollars more than what I said I was willing to to be paid at. And what did they do? They paid me what I said. And then each year I did get a, a small pay rise each year. Um, but still imagine if you start already on the higher rate and you still keep getting pay rises every year, then that's actually worth it more, you know, and all you have to do is just have some balls to actually say what you want. Yeah. So we recently did the math. Someone who joins a 30K program at the beginning of their career, $30,000 times 43, which is the average length of a career in the US is mm-hmm. um, $1.29 million. And so that's not even including compound interest if you were to invest that amount of money. Mm. Um, so yeah, it it is pretty profound, the impact of effective negotiation if you do it right um and then as far as the telling the interviewer what you're currently making so in recruiting we call this spilling the candy right Mm. because negotiating is a game of poker and so if you just like give all of your cards that makes like then all of a sudden they have all of the power right Mm. and like Mm -hmm. from a federal perspective employers are not actually able to even ask what someone is making so a candidate would never, ever be required to disclose that information. And if they are, mm. you should alert someone because mm. by law, they're not supposed to ask you. Far out. Oh, honestly, Mia, there is so much goodness in this for anybody wanting to progress their career. Make sure you listen to this episode a few times and go check out the 30K program as well. That sounds incredible. Do you have many people working with you that are outside of the U.S.? We are primarily in the U.S. right now, but we're open. You know, if you're in a different country, reach out anyways. (laughs) I love it. That is so cool. Thank you so much for your time being on the show today. Uh, Go check out the description below because I have got links there so that you can go and check out Mia and follow the 30K program. Thank you for your time. Thank you. It's been a blast.